this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of the union, this is a patron-selected episode. Comes to us from Mr. Jim Stelter, who... um. Jim has been with us for a couple years. He suggested a couple albums over the years. I'm actually just pulling that up now because I wasn't smart enough to uh, plan ahead and and see what he had suggested. So, okay, here we go. So last year, Jim's pick was Firewater's The Ponzi Scheme. Oh, okay, yep. That was an interesting one. And then the year before that, it was This Is The Way It Goes and Goes by Juno. Another interesting pick. 2017, it was Lusk. No. That was a uh, that was a classic one. Yep. And uh, I believe that's it. If I'm missing one, I, I apologize. Jim, but uh, my Google machine doesn't go back any farther. And I mean, by, I mean, my Google inbox for my for the Gmail. Uh, so those are the, the all interesting picks, different, but unique. You know, they're not none of those are mainstream out bands. Um, all ha- all interesting and, and unique on their own. And so is this one from this year. Uh, his pick Brotherhood of Electric colon operation directive by wellwater conspiracy the 1999 album uh released on time bomb recordings now jay this has a connection to an album we already did which is hater tell me more uh i will there i will um so hater as you might remember was the band featuring matt cameron on drums and vocals John McBain, who had been previously in Monster Magnet, on guitar. Ben Shepard on guitar and vocals. And then they had a different lineup uh, in the 90s. It was um, John Waterman on bass, Brian Wood on vocals, Alan Davis on bass. Some switches there. And then in the 2000s, they put out a second album. And Andrew Church, Bubba Dupree, and Andy Duvall were in the band. So we reviewed the 93 self-titled album, Hater, which I think we both struggled with because it was a bit uh, unfocused and it has its charm, but it wasn't quite what we were hoping for. So Ben Shepard joined, I, I I guess Wellwater Conspiracy was a side project to the side project, essentially. So they finished Hater and then they they changed the format or they changed the band to Wellwater Conspiracy. Again, Matt Cameron on drums, John McBain on guitar and bass and Ben Shepard on 
vocals, but then Ben Shepard left after the first record, which was in 97, and that's when Matt Cameron took over as the main vocalist for the band, and then there is a guest vocalist on this band on this album. Now, this is 99. The guest vocalist is one Josh Ome from uh, Queens of the Stone Age. This was at, like right at the beginning of Queens of the Stone Age. 99. And actually, what was I found out, which is interesting, is that in the original incarnate touring incarnation of Queens of the Stone Age, Matt Cameron played drums and John McBain was in the band. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they actually played a Wellwater Conspiracy song live. That's the connection there. Um, he also plays bass on uh, Josh Omi also plays bass on a couple of songs on the record. And then there are some guest uh, strings players, other folks on keyboards and, and whatnot. But basically it's Matt Cameron and John McBain doing this Cameron drums, vocals, guitars, bass, guitar, keyboards. And he did the artwork. And then uh, John McBain is credited with guitars, bass, guitar, keyboards, and screams. So if you hear any screaming, that's John McBain. McBain. <laughs> Jay, had you heard of Wellwater Conspiracy? I had not. I'm kind of surprised because uh, I was a fan of Queens, you know, pretty early on. I was a fan of Caius. I'm guess I wasn't a fan of Hater, and I started to lose interest in, or my interest was waning with sort of the Soundgarden family and the Pearl Jam family trees by that point, I think mm-hmm. um, this band was forming. So, um, but I'm surprised in, in the years since that I had never really heard of it. I, I think I've heard the name, but it, it sounds like a more of a two thousands band, like, a, right. <laughs> you know, some of the bands that, uh, you know, tended to have ridiculously long names. Sure. Well, this was one of those bands. I agree with you where I knew the name, and I knew they were somehow connected to the Seattle bands. But like with Hater and then some of the other bands, like the Rockfords, I think was another one where one of the guys from Pearl Jam was in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I kind of knew that they existed, but I just did never checked them out. Not like with Brad and, and Stone Gossard playing in Brad, I obviously was. And you and I are both fans of, of that because of Sean Smith. Well, um, that first that first album came out when it came out, I was like right when that was so hot i mean that sound right those, bands and those, those people were so hot and you just couldn't get enough like oh you know i'll listen to anything they do at this point in 99 i'm like okay I've, i'm kind of had enough of Soundgarden and i've had enough of pearl jam so i definitely don't need to go digging up their side projects so like i mentioned this was their second album it was released on time bomb in february of 99 time bomb was the label that it, it, it seemed like it was kind of going to get big because it put out that sunny day real estate um reunion album oh yeah and it also put out albums by reverend horton heat and the offspring no knife chlorine i don't know if you remember that band <laughs> they were they they opened for rat i think when we <laughs> when we saw rat at the end of the 90s <laughs> okay uh social distortion the vandals and then uh that label seemed to uh, just fall apart. Like I don't know if there was a if it was a money issue or or whatnot, but they seem to um, 
I think it was like after I think the Sunny Day real estate release was like trouble for them. They mm. put a lot of money into it. And I don't think it did as well. I, that's I think that's the story. But anyway, so then Wellwater Conspiracy released their third album in 2001, The Scrolls and Its Combinations on TVT Records. That's a name that I know only because I think it was like a lot of like electronic music or, you know, I want to say like, was it Nine Inch Nails on there? Yeah, it was Nine Inch Nails. And um, I guess I guess I had some metal. Seven Dust was on TVT and some other bands, but I I, they're kind of all over the place. Gravity Kills. That was they were on there for a while as were as was guided by voices. I forgot about that. And then they released their third or fourth album, Wellwater Conspiracy, on Megaforce Records, which was the um, John Zazula album, which had a lot of metal. Yeah, they had all the weird, fringy, independent labels, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of went from weird label to weird label. Yeah. Um, and then they did, uh, at one point, I believe put out a single in the like recently like 2019 unless it's the unless it's another band called Wellwater Conspiracy which I don't I don't know how that'd be possible but I think it's up on Spotify anyway so like I said basically this band Matt Cameron John McBain that's your uh that's your that's your core band here with Josh Omi uh stepping in for some for some singing and some bass playing this is what uh, Jim had to say, he said, I listened to this album a ton when it came out 20 years ago. It still holds up for me. The flaws are fairly obvious. Too many tracks, the dud of an ending. But Wellwater Conspiracy know how to craft off-kilter, catchy songs, and this album is chock full of them. There's also a lot of history and connections to dig into them between members, other bands, and guest contributors. Some obvious, some surprising. Not all their albums are on Spotify, but this one is. Enjoy. So the guest, I, obviously, the uh, surprising one is is Josh Ome because it's in between bands essentially. So let's get into the, some of the comments over at Patreon. We'll get to the poll at the end of the show, but what did our patrons have to say? Billy Dylan said, "Great album. Love the Josh Ome songs, especially though I like Matt Cameron's vocals as well." The drumming in Team Lamb Chop is really cool, along with the Middle Eastern-sounding lead guitar line. I would say a few songs could be cut, but overall it combines the sound of the 90s with earlier influences and interesting instrumentation to good effect. Johnny Hooper said, I agree with Willie. I've always loved the music that these Seattle folks were making, whether it was in Hater or Wellwater, but this would probably make for a better EP. Having home Ome in the fold really works, though. Richard Waterman says, a lot of influences from psychedelic and 70s rock artists. It has some outstanding passages, cool instrumental segues and interludes, but unfortunately, it has some very plain songs. It's also full of strange sounds, electronic effects, plus a raw sound. Matt Cameron is excellent as usual. Ben Shepard does not actually participate in this album, um, which you mentioned. Favorite track is Hell McBain, or Hell McBlain. Is that supposed to be a reference to Hell Blaine, the drummer? I'm guessing. I can't see the lads having an issue with the length. I can see, or I can't see the lads having an issue with the length or right time of this album. None at all. I think that's sarcasm in that last sentence there. Nate Smith says, I'm into it. It's like if the Doors and Queens 
met a hairless bear in the desert. This is the music they'd make. I like the fuzzed guitar leads over the almost clean tone rhythms happening throughout. I agree with Waterman that Hell McBlain is a standout track. It doesn't hold my attention for a full length's worth of songs, but then again, neither does a hairless bear. Better EP. I don't. I, this hairless bear thing. Was there some ayahuasca happening here? What's I don't going know. on? I, I, hairless bear bears would be terrifying. They would look. Yeah, so that's st- like a that's like a Jeff Vandermeer uh, uh, nightmare there. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's talk some. Again, this this is a long album title. Brotherhood of Electric colon Operational Directives. By Wellwater Conspiracy. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about this record. I like the it has a um a garage vibe to it in some in some aspects that uh I liked quite a bit because you're getting sort of that energy and those riffs from say like say it's the track two compeller, like that that grabbed me right away. You know, riffs similar to maybe what you would hear from the hives or rocket from the crypt and kind of a garagey production, meaning, you know, it's roomy, it's got, you know, reverb on everything. It sounds real, doesn't sound overproduced, performance oriented. But then you get this really, you know, spectacular drumming from Matt Cameron, which you don't always get from some of those, you know, uh, garage rock bands. I mean, the drumming can be competent, but he's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, kind of bringing his Keith moon to this record. I think a little bit um, you're hearing him play things that I wouldn't normally think of him playing. Um, uh, certainly, you know, it's technical in, in the, some, like some of the sound card and stuff he d- does, but it also has got, you know, a lot more going on than what he typically does in Pearl jam. So you get this nice mix of like solid rock drumming, with really interesting fills and parts and um, sounds and you know the bass playing is really pretty solid on the record too again it made me think of uh, more of the who where you get these runs and really busy bass um, that's super locked up with the drums so that aspect I I really liked um, material wise I think that combination works really good when um, on the Josh Homme songs where, you know, he's bringing, I think a little bit more, I think songwriting and structure set, you know, savviness to to those songs too. There's just a, um, they just sound a bit more refined. Um, I think melodically, you know, he's getting to some decent choruses and hooks. Uh, 
a song like Compeller, which has, uh, I guess that's the Matt Cameron, is is still pretty good though in terms of vocally in terms of the vocals. Um, even something like Good Pushing gets into almost a Sloan territory. Uh, the the melody of that, um, I hear vocally too. His, his voice is interesting. I, I didn't expect him to be this good of a singer. Like Van Vanishing reminded me a bit of jellyfish vocally um and melodically what he's doing there more the eric dover uh sound or even imperial drag um so you, so you've got this what can be pretty sharp uh punchy you know 60s garage rocky with some psychedelic kind of overtones with um either the riffs or some of the guitar effects, you know, they'll use a lot of um, fuzz and delay and, you know, more 60s style um, guitar effects. Uh, So, and then, and then it it dips a little bit in in some places into, you know, a Doors vibe. So you definitely, you know, it's vintage, you know, 60s, early 70s sounding record with, um, you know, some attitude, I think, and energy that's, you know, modern. Um, so, you know, those are the the things I like about it. And the songs tend to lean that way. Uh, I think work pretty well. How about you? Well, I agree with you on, on Matt Cram- Cameron. He's kind of a revelation here in terms of his vocal. It reminds me of one I heard on Pearl Jam's No Code, Mankind, which is the song that's sung by Stone Gossard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is really good. I would listen to a whole album of Stone Gossard, like, you know, three minute pop rock songs. Yeah. Like he's, he's got a, a pretty solid voice and he's obviously got a, you know, a knack for coming up with really cool guitar riffs. Um, and that's what we, this reminded me of. You mentioned um, Sloan and, you know, there's just this really cool vibe of, like you said, the who and, and these garage rock sounding bands on good pushing on, um, compeller. And then when you combine those with Josh, Omi's just got his kind of his delivery. Yeah. So on, on those three songs that he sings and, and, uh, you know, they do a great job and he brings his thing and, it just all kind of works in a way that I wasn't really expecting. And I kind of, I think the first or two or three listens, I was like kind of confused as to what I was hearing. Cause I was like, yeah. wait a minute. Okay. There's multiple vocal people singing. There's all these weird instrumental tracks that are going on here and there. And I kind of had to like really focus in on each track as I was listening to it to figure out like, okay, what is this song? How does this fit into this? Because yeah, it's, it's long. It's overly long. It's, it's indulgent. It's fine. It's a side project for successful yeah. musicians. They can kind of, you know, go off and do some, some weird stuff. I, I get, I get that they have that inclination, but yeah. um, there's some really, it, there's some really cool songwriting on here that I was not expecting. And I, I, like I said, I would with you, I did not expect to be like, not only is Matt Cameron a really good drummer, but he can actually pull off singing a tune. And I'm guessing yeah. like, you know, involved in the guitar and whatnot writing of these songs. So I know, I think he did, uh, didn't he do like a solo song 
or album a few years back. I want to say that he actually put out something. Yeah, he put out Cave Dweller in 2017. Okay. I've never listened to that record. I don't know what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, I got to go listen to that record. Yeah. Because uh, it's it's completely... A, I thought it was just going to be like a drum record. It'd be like listening to Neil Peart play solo for like 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But apparently I'm wrong. So... Yeah, and he's got some... I don't know if it's range, but he's got some different voices too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know, sometimes when you hear people step up to the mic that aren't full-time singers, you know, they sort of have one note <laughs> and sometimes it works, but it's like, okay, that's, that's their note and they don't stray too far from it. But um, I don't hear that with him. He, he's able to kind of, you know, get some range. didn't work for you on this record well it's indulgent in some places it sounds um unfinished meaning like production wise it's fine so it's not that i think they leave a lot of space and they have a tendency to want to jam and do things that are um dynamic and and what you would hear similar to what you would hear on a queens of the stone age record but they don't have the, they either haven't worked the songs out enough for the dynamics to be really compelling and interesting, or they're missing like that killer guitar part. I noticed quite a few spots on the record where there'll be middle sections or turnarounds or, you know, um, beginning of a second verse where there's space for something cool to happen, but nothing cool happens. Meaning cool, meaning like, some incredible guitar solo or lead or something like musically a performance that really pops and gets your attention. Mm -hmm. And what you end up with is just fuzzy sounds and fuzzy tones and like sometimes very uh, amateurish sounding guitar solos and leads. Uh, So in spaces where, you know, either get rid of that space and just don't do that or get a guitar player who's really good. Uh, it kind of sounds like a bunch of people made a record who don't play guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, I know what you mean. Like B.O.U. is a good example where like there's a lot of cool stuff happening in that song, but it just needed like, it needed like Mike McCready to just lay in a kick-ass guitar solo at some point.
Yep. And not, and not to say there's not some cool guitar parts and I'm fine with the guitar sounds. Right. It's just from a performance standpoint, because, you know, some of these songs, you know, we can get into the length thing. I think we beat that to death. We, we heard it in the comments. Um, I think this band can make it, could make a decision one way or the other on, Hey, are we going to be like the hives and write super concise, tight songs and, you know, not overthink it and just make these, these quick bursts of energies, energy and ideas. Or are we going to be like Queens of the Stone Age where we can do both? Like we can have a song that's two minutes long. We can have a song that's punky. We can have a song that's seven minutes long. And it's like this epic thing. We can fuzz out. I think they're trying to go down the Queens of the Stone Age route. Not not to say they're modeling themselves out of that because they're contemporaries, but like that concept of like, hey, we can do all these different things and like let the songs expand and go where they want to go. The problem is I think Josh Ami figures out over time, like you can hear it if you listen to the desert session stuff where you hear the spark of the ideas, but then he spends a ton of time crafting that and making that work right for a five and a half minute long song. So that when the final product, you know, is done, it's really thought thoroughly thought through and there's the performances there and the changes that need to be there and melodically it works that's not happening here. So you're sort of getting more of like what you would hear on a desert session. It's probably less drugged out. It's not finished um, as a concept to me. Um, So there's just a, between the interludes or jammy sections of songs or whole songs themselves, it's just a bit spotty and up and down where you'll, um, you know, a song like Van Vanishing will come on and, you know, be kick-ass and then, you know, it's kind of up and down for the rest of the record. And then you get towards the end and the last two songs are just goofy jam. Like, I don't know where they're going um, way too long. Uh, so, you know, whatever meant momentum was built to that point. Right. Sort of gets completely lost as you try to get through the last couple songs to try to figure out like, where, where are we going and how do we get back on the rails here? Um, so inconsistent spotty guitar performances um i think there's some song ideas here that are really strong there's some others that are not at all and the ones that are strong just need some more sharpening and definition yeah i think there are i like when they get when they use some weirdness within the context of a interesting song like van vanishing you just mentioned that almost sounded like that kind of had like a early Brad or Satchel feel with like those weird like guitar or not guitar, weird keyboard yep. things that were happening in that song. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that because in the same way that I could appreciate those first couple of uh, Sean Smith records with uh, with Brad and Satchel, how they would use, you know, some really bizarre keyboard parts or some some bizarre rhythm things going on or he would use a you know vocal effects on some songs
But on the flip, like people have mentioned Hell McBlane. Like that is a really cool song, but there's parts to it that are just like, it just sounds like noodling yeah. and not in like a good way. And then it tries to do this big, like almost psychedelic ending. Yeah. And I just, I can't imagine that if you had just someone who was a bit more of a, of a, of a shredder, not that you need somebody who's, you don't need like Steve Vai, but you just need someone who can like really go to town. On, yeah, on put, a, put, put together a good guitar solo. Yeah. Yeah. You just, I mean, or just some lines or some runs that are really interesting. Hal McBlain is a great example of everything I was just talking about. Yep. You know, it, there's, it's when you get into the song, you're like, Ooh, these fills are kind of cool. And it has like a who vibe to it. Like, these oscillating keyboards and these fills and changes. But then as the song goes, you're not going anywhere. And then there's this whole end section that really, I think wants to be epic and just, is, it doesn't, it's missing the performance. Like what is the big performance here that really gets me going and it's not there. It just sounds right. And if, if this was an album of, of the Josh Omi tracks and then the tracks with like compeller and um good pushing and it was like 35 minutes it'd be a totally kick-ass record yep yeah but they there's so much other stuff here yep that i don't even mind it as like the opening little noise thing that's that's fine um and you can you can do you know little 30 second interludes i don't mind mm-hmm. that but like you like closing it out with seven almost eight minutes of just a waste yep. just, like give me give me something that can you can really utilize all this talent i yep. mean there's a lot of talented guys that are getting together to make this and it's just there's just some just you know just leave that stuff off i don't even i don't know why some of these tracks are on here from a from the instrumental standpoint that's still that's I think that's why I was struggling with sort of paying attention because I would just be like there'd be these passages where I'd be like, uh, what is the why why is this happening? Yeah. So there's even like a cool piano, electric piano solo in in um Hal McBlane, but they don't edit it so it's the feature of that whole end piece. Like it's just something that happens and then there's like another minute of the song left. Like this was should have been the big crescendo to get to like this cool piano lead right. solo, and now we're just going on and on and on and on and on. Um, so it just needs some editing, maybe production, you know, a producer or something. To, or in the case, you know, you can make it work if you've got a band that has a killer guitar player or a, you know an amazing singer. Like you brought up Brad, well some of that Brad stuff is working because Sean Smith's singing. And oh, by the way, Stone Gossard's your guitar player. So, you know, you can right. you can keep things interesting and the performances are, you know, going to pull you back. I think one of, the, one of the songs where I thought there was going to be something and then it kind of petered for me was Right of Left Field, which sort of begins sounding like Tomorrow Never Knows yep. with that drum part. And I was yep. like, oh, okay, we're going to get into some cool like psychedelic stuff. And it just kind of doesn't 
that's where I feel like his voice sounds the weakest. There's a little, I think it's the chorus. I think he says, feel like a new moon rising. There's a little phrase he throws in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a moment where you're like, ooh, that's the best vocal of the whole song. <laughs> and then it goes back to, you know, in those verses, you're just like, you know, nothing. they're just so rudimentary and amateurish sounding. Um, he'd almost be better off than not even saying in the verse. So there's moments. It's just, yes. It's just not put together. Yeah, I don't know who. uh, Adam Casper was the producer. Worked Seattle area producer, worked with Mudhoney, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Queens, R.E.M. Tragically hip. Worked on In Between Evolution, which is one of my uh, favorite hip records. Worked on... uh, Pond Rock Collection, which we reviewed. Oh yeah. Soundgarden's down on the upside. Truly's fast stories from Kid Coma, which was uh in a previous poll. Yep. Seaweeds span away, the most divisive band in uh Dig Me Out history. And uh some other stuff. Worked on a couple of uh Eddie Vedder solo uh releases. So um yeah, so he's got a good Resume. I, I'm guessing that like this was more of him just sitting in the in the studio and pushing the buttons and hanging out yeah. with his friends more so than like, you know, hey guys, I think you need to cut this chorus in half and I need <laughs> right. you to trim the intro and let's let's double that vocal. You know, I'm sure that was a little bit more like friendly. It's than than a, a ball breaker. Yeah. So. This came out in 99. Well, I do think there are some really interesting songs. And even like you mentioned, there's some stuff that actually almost has like a hives feel. Yeah. And I think 99, 2000, is that when the hives were yep. sort of making some noise? Mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to get any, anything, anything close to what the hives were able to pull off. No, it's just, it's just not going to work. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Worthy album, better EP, and decent single. Where do you land? Um, I'm at an EP. This has not broke my streak. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> uh, I think I've hit the songs that I would I would pull here, but just for clarity. Um, compeller. Well, uh, Destination Twenty Four as an interlude is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, compeller, Teen Lamb Chop, Red Light, Green Light, Van Vanishing, Ladder to the Moon, and Good Pushing. Um, that probably gets you around, you know, a thirty-minute, thirty-five-minute record. I, I actually think there is a worthy album here, but it's like nine songs or 10 songs like mm. you got to cut six songs so you're cutting jefferson experiment dr brown dr green dark passage right of left field and psycho scrim and you're down to 10 songs and that gives you and then then that way the the only like 
instrumental sort of nonsense is much more yeah compact with destination very, 24 it's a very different record at that edit i'd actually be interested to put that together in a playlist and listen to it yeah and i would actually and then i would move hail mcblain probably to like the last song yeah because all it's a good song but that could close the album easily yeah. um yeah, I think I think there's a worthy album here, but it's it needs to be severely edited. Six songs gone, and it needs to be restructured. Yeah, those last two tracks are just killers. I mean, they they just make it hard for me to get back into the record. Right. You know what I mean? Like when I go oh, yeah. through, through it after those two songs, I'm just not excited to hit play again. Yeah, so I think it would be a totally different experience to to get rid of those a lot of those interludes some of the in those weaker songs uh, towards the end. Well, like our poll, Jay, uh, or like us, we split between where the album better EP. Our poll was split evenly between, well, not evenly. Forty three percent were the album, forty three percent better EP, fourteen percent decent single. So the majority of votes were split. They would go to, if this was an instant runoff, they would go to their second pick if we did such a thing. I'm guessing uh, that would be tough, you know, to split if you did a better EP, which would you, would you go decent single or would you go worthy album? I guess it depended on if you were like at three or four songs or you're at six or seven songs. But uh, I want to thank all our patrons for voting in it. We need to thank Jim for suggesting this. Um, I think we got to get to, I, I mean, We've gotten to quite a bit of the side projects. We've actually done a whole episode of side projects. Right. I don't know if this came up or not, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to a lot of them because there were a lot of side projects. We're missing one of the big ones, which is Temple of the Dog. We haven't done Temple of the Dog yet, right? But uh, of course we haven't, right? <laughs> Why would we? we just finally talked about Soundgarden, but we had talked about Hater first. It took us ten and a half years to talk about Soundgarden. <laughs> it took us nine years to talk about to talk about Nirvana. Hey, so we're nine years into this podcast, we should mention there was a band called Nirvana. We've never talked about Pearl Jam. Not not other other than they, these people were in a band called Pearl Jam, but they yeah. we're talking about this other band called Wellwater Conspiracy or Brad or Hater or. <laughs> What other bands that these people were in that uh, wasn't Pearl Jam? But you can always suggest one of those records by going to digmeoutpodcast.com, going to our suggest an album page. You drop your album in there. It goes into our hopper. And once a month, nine albums go to our patrons to vote on. Nine fresh uh out of the box out of the oven of uh, albums that they can uh they can choose from it's always a fun time when the uh when the votes get tight and the electioneering starts that happens by becoming a patron at digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com for as little as two bucks a month you can join us vote in our polls you get exclusive 80s episodes you get exclusive uh, you know, access to our Discord where all the chatter happens. A lot of discussion today about the Manic Street Preachers. I was pushing some Manics on people because of their new album that's out. Yep. Uh, 
speaking of the new album, new albums, they get reviewed along with books and movies over at the box. That's our newsletter. It comes out once a week. People at Patreon get to get to read it. Uh, and uh, you can get it delivered every weekend by uh, by going to digmeoutpodcast.com and signing up for the box newsletter. And then lastly, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at the Apple Podcasts. That's it. We're done. Uh, for JM Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. <laughs>